Hockey. Tuesday, the Leafs and the Devils tonight in Jersey. You can watch that one on TSN4. Darren Dreger will be on the panel, I believe. If I'm wrong on that, I'm sorry. But he's joining us in 20 minutes. I know that is the truth. Amanda Stein a little bit later. Uh, the woman with the best penmanship in the entire National Hockey League will join us to tee up this really exciting game between these two really exciting teams. The Devils, a team that everybody's kind of tracking this year as an exciting, scrappy uh, young group. Was it the last game that they played or just the last game in New Jersey where things went way off the rails and there was stuff being thrown? Well, both, because the last game they played was, was yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, I wasn't so, sure yeah, it was the, both. It, it was, yeah, that was a wild game. Thinking back I on think it. I, was it near Christmas? I think I was on a plane somewhere around, watching it. I, I remember watching it on my phone. Around then. Yeah. It was around then. And it yeah. was just a gong show. It, it was the oh first instance God. where Matt Murray was totally, like, everyone thought that he was just picking up the nets and throwing them like the Hulk. Oh, yeah. That was kind of the first game where that happened. Yeah. And that happened again in Minnesota. And yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where it, where it all kind of started. That's right. And was there three goals that got called back? And <laughs> then, crazy. Uh, I there was even a, there was a Toronto goal that didn't get called back. And, like, Jersey, I think even, they challenged it, and it, it, it stood, and like, are you, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? We it got three comeback, and you're standing that one, and beers were being tossed, and the players ended up going like down the tunnel. Remember Pierre Engvall? Literally Poor guy. thought like there he was, was a victim. The dude thought there was bullets flying around the way that he ran into the tunnel. So no Pierre Engvall tonight. He wants to have to worry Aww. about ducking. I will uh, remember you. That's right. That's um, right. Looks like Samsonov's going to get the start tonight based on the pregame routine that we saw at Morning Skate. Samsonov versus Vanacek. Yeah. A game that I am coining personally as the battle of the Caps castaways between the pipes. Castaways. The Cap castaways. Yeah, that's a good one, AB. And it, have they gone head to head yet? Right. Actually, I think this was. No, it wasn't the starter duo last time they played. So I don't think so. But I feel like I remember us teeing up a game kind of like this beforehand. But we sit here a lot. So maybe I'm just remembering something else. Um, are you surprised by that? Are you... You know what I'm not? Like, does, I, I Does it solidify almost your argument? There's this debate going on internally here at TSN 1050 as to who the <laughs> playoff starter for Game 1 is right now. No, it doesn't solidify any argument, I don't think. And and, and look, there's a, a, a healthy debate about who the Game 1 starter would be. Both guys healthy. Should it be Samsonov? Not should it. Will it be Samsonov or yeah. will it be Matt Murray? I mean, you guys can weigh in at Leafs Lunch 1050 if you want to let us know who you believe should be the game one starter. We'll definitely, we, I got to get Dreg's answer on that too, because I feel like I'm a little bit on an island saying like Samsonov. There's a lot of discourse around like the Leafs want Matt Murray to do it. And if he's playing up to par, he stays healthy, he can get that opportunity come game one. I don't think tonight's starter means anything like, no, no. For, for playoffs, but. Um, what, what I like is, I, I like the fact that they went back to Samsonov. He hasn't played in a while. Didn't play since Edmonton, which is what, last Wednesday? So we're looking at six days since he's, uh, since he's gotten in-game action. They don't play again until Saturday. So if he didn't play today, he's going, what, like 10 days without a, without a start? 10, yeah, 11 days? It's right? quite a week, too, with just the two Very games this quiet. week. Very quiet. Very quiet. But what, why I think Samsonov is the right call is... We know about the splits, right? Like when he's at home and on the road, and they're completely different. One of the best goaltenders when it comes to his uh, underlying numbers at home. On the road, he has not been great. Like he's got a a goals against above three, a save percentage below 900. It just hasn't really gone very well when when he's out there on the road. 
And that's something that I, I hope gets corrected down the stretch here. So if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I would try to get him as many road starts as possible from here on out. I know they got, they're, they're finishing up their road trip tonight, then they come back home for a little bit. But like down the stretch, I think I kind of got uh, 11 road games left, 10 after tonight. I would hope that you get Sam Snub and do a majority of those and get him comfortable playing some road games. Because if you do got to go to him in the playoffs and he's your guy game one, Hopefully he's still your guy game three when you got to go on the road. Yeah. Or, I mean, we don't know if they're going to have to start there or not. But either way, you got to have comfort and you got to have some, um, some trust fact that this guy can get it done on the road. Because this year, it's been very hit or miss. Very hit or miss when he's out there. So I would try and get him as many road starts. So tonight, last night of this road trip before coming home for a few games... To me, it makes sense to go to Samsonov. Yeah, and I know that uh, Market has been dogged, dogged on a little bit, notably at this station, but that's a pretty vicious building right now. It's going to be <laughs> Timo Meyer's home debut as yeah. a devil. It's going to be his first time playing in that building. Like That's going to be a, a pretty tough building to step into. Wow. So it'll be a good challenge for Samsonov with his uh, current very, very befuddling home and road split. You know what I'll be curious about tonight's matchup, though? Like the, the first couple times that these two teams played against each other, like they're both pretty close games and tight games. And, you know, they're both teams who like to play somewhat of a, a run-and-gun style of hockey. We know that the Devils play a really fast-paced game. With the changes that the Maple Leafs have made, and I guess without Ryan O'Reilly and John Tavares tonight, which, yeah, they're both not playing tonight. I know we mentioned that yesterday, but uh, if you didn't listen, neither are going to be in tonight's game. Without those guys, I wonder how different things would be. But the fact that this team is a lot different than they were last time they played. It's built more playoff-esque. Not necessarily the run-and-gun style of fast-paced hockey that we saw previously with these two teams. So I wonder if that'll kind of change the way that tonight's game plays as opposed to what we saw earlier in the year. Yeah, it's interesting because this Devils team, and I know they were talking with Ken Danico about this on the morning show, this Devils team kind of reminds me of the Leafs like two years ago. Yeah. Or maybe three years ago when their young guns were really young guns, not kind of middle NHL age player guns, even though we still refer to them as this young core. So I'm interested to see how that affects the matchup to AB because, I don't know, does does it match them up worse against the Devils in the regular season when the game is played a little bit differently, but set them up for success a little bit better in the postseason when well, it's played heavier and slower? So I think you look at the three teams that the, that the Leafs have played since the deadline, since making all of the You've brought up an interesting right? kind of point like that before. Well, I just... So tonight I think will be different, because you look at the way Edmonton... Like Edmonton, yeah, they, they play fast and whatnot, but like pretty much it's a McDavid show, and then it really drops off from there. you got McDavid, Dreisaitl, like Hyman, I guess, New just having a good season and then it really drops off and and you know so the amount of competition throughout the lineup is is rather slim now you look at calgary and and they're not necessarily a fast-paced run and gun type team like that's a very well-structured slower paced defensive game they want to kind of wear you down and similar to vancouver too like there's some players there with pace at the top of the lineup and then it really kind of drops off as you get to the bottom you look at this team here it's a completely different lineup than we've seen over the past you know three games since all these changes have been done for this team who now looks like the part more of a playoff team with a, a you know a heavier bottom six so i'll be curious to see how it does match up right because again we we didn't see it in the first few games and tonight will be a good chance and you know hopefully it, it, it turns out well obviously yeah. and if they go out there and they absolutely dummy the new jersey devils in place a a playoff style game and it works out 
Kyle Dubas is gonna look we're gonna look good, right? Yeah. And, and all the team I test people are, are gonna look and say, hey, see, that's how you beat that's how you beat an analytics ba- built team. Because like that's a team that like the their underlying numbers fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're built pretty well. We'll see how it works out though. Yeah, be interesting, A B to C. Uh, I think I, I heard a stat this morning. I think AK said the Leafs are are eight no or something to that effect, coming off a loss in, in their last eight attempts. I don't know if we have to check that. AK is a pretty reliable guy, but I don't know. Bodes promising for tonight in hopes that they might bounce back after that lackluster effort over the weekend versus the Vancouver Canucks. But this has been a long road trip. This is the fifth game of the road trip. They've been in like three different time zones. So it, it has been a little yeah. bit of a grind for them lately. We'll, we'll acknowledge. Luke Shen also not in the lineup tonight. He hung back in Vancouver. His, his wife is expecting a baby. But let's get into this Tavares, Ryan O'Reilly thing. So both of them, well, John Tavares took a beating versus Vancouver. He took that really big hit from Myers. Ryan O'Reilly took a shot off the hand from Austin Matthews, and we heard officially yesterday from Sheldon Keefe that he's going on LTIR. It was a kind of a promising update, though, AB. Broken finger, but is expected to be back before the playoffs. Yeah. Where are you at with the Ryan O'Reilly situation? Like, at first, when it initially happened, I was just mostly really... I'm not worried about Ryan O'Reilly remembering how to play hockey and remembering how to play playoff hockey and fitting in with the Leafs. Ryan O'Reilly's going to be fine, especially with this update that he's going to be, I don't know, back back in before the playoffs start. So the earliest he can come back, um, April 1st against the Senators. That would be the first game they come back where it's the 10 games in 24 days. So he can come back April 1st, and then there's a handful of games after that. And he, it's more than enough time for him to get up to speed to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah. And ultimately, that's all you want for Ryan O'Reilly. And like, up like, to speed is an interesting thing. Because, like, the good thing is with a broken finger, he could stay on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, it's not like he's going to be, it's not like it's a groin injury. No. Where it's going to take you a couple of weeks to get Hopefully your legs stay back in the gym, you. essentially. Like, it's going to be hard to yeah, do. Yeah. I think it's more, stuff, it's more but... just, like, mental, right? Like, being yeah. in that, that fast-paced game, especially as it ramps up towards playoff time, things really start to get cooking. Mentally, you got to be sharp. And a guy like that who's played in, in the biggest games That's of the That's the thing. Like, I, I feel completely fine with him. Is it ideal for Ryan O'Reilly to get injured? Absolutely not. Is there a little silver lining, though, A.B., in that he's going to be so fresh that this body that wow. has a lot of miles on it. I'm I, just looking right now. Is yeah, there a little silver lining that's, he's going to be rested for playoffs? Nice, it's a glass half full approach to what I suppose. It's like they Kucherov'd like, no, by rather, accident. I would rather him be here and, and, and be playing, right? So, it also was so exciting to have him in a lineup. Like, the allure and all the other guys are still in, but I would argue till the cows come home that Ryan O'Reilly, their most impactful impact. piece yeah. they added at the deadline. And it was front, kind of an sure. added treat in these dog days of the season to tune in and see the new guys and get to know them as Maple Leafs. So it's kind of more of like, yeah, this is yeah. lame that you don't get to watch them night in, night out more than I'm concerned about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, it's unideal. Yeah. Like, it's it's not a problem. And, and you want to know, oh, how's this team going to get by without Ryan O'Reilly? What a massive injury. We'll go back to about, what, 14, 15, 16 days ago. I bet they'll be okay. Like, like they were fine, yeah. right? Like, this is a team that was second in the division without Ryan O'Reilly this year. Like, I think they'll be okay. That being said, without John Tavares as well, it does really, like, it shows how thin this this center group can get, right? And, and that's no surprise. You lose two of your top three centers, <laughs> yeah. it's going to get thin. Go, you go find any... any I implore you, if you could find a team that could lose two of their top three centermen and still provide me with a top six bonafide centerman, that team's probably going to go ahead and win a Stanley Cup. Right. But anyways, Sam Lafferty is getting the, uh, getting the assignment to be the second-line center 
in tonight's game. He'll be alongside William Nylander and uh, Callie Yarncroft. Do you like Sam Lafferty getting this opportunity? Like, where are you at with uh, with this one? I do. Okay, wait. We have to go back for a second because there's been an additional Ryan O'Reilly up- update. Okay. Ryan O'Ryan? Ryan O'Reilly update. Okay. <laughs> I, did you see my face kind of react there as I you did. were talking? I did. He had successful surgery this morning to stabilize the fracture. Oh, so surgery it is. So surgery was had. Is there a timeline? Four weeks. Okay, so four weeks to, from today, so you're looking... I was so excited. I, I, there was an update. I forgot how to speak English for a second, but we're back on the rails. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly had successful surgery on his finger this morning uh, per head coach Sheldon Keefe, and his timeline to return is four weeks. So that's right around what you were kind of looking at, wasn't it? Just well, a week after? Here, we're One, looking at two, the, the seventh. So it would be, yeah, like the first week of, the first week of April. So we're looking at maybe like the fourth against Columbus potentially is when he could return yeah, or maybe, you know, the Boston Bruins, he comes back. Like that first week of, of, of April would be about the four-week mark, which would make some sense and still gives him, we'll say, roughly six, five or six games to get going and, and, you know, gear up for the playoffs. So, you know, that'll be more than enough time for, for a guy like him to be ready to go. Yep. Um, you know, surgery, I don't know if that's best case scenario. The fact that he needed surgery, I don't know, maybe uh, it would have been nice if it wasn't that serious, but I guess we can't really complain. It is what it is at the end of the day, right? But yeah. Uh, So, yeah, no, no Ryan O'Reilly for the next four weeks. Uh, no John Tavares tonight. And that's, we didn't really get a chance to dive into that a whole lot yesterday, but, like, isn't that a little peculiar that he was out there practicing and just... Yeah, but and also out for morning skate today. Yeah, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, yet was straight up like, yeah, I don't feel well. I'm just not going to play tomorrow. So not I'm... feeling like himself. He didn't speak to you. I think it was Sheldon Keith that said yeah, not feeling Keith, like himself. Yeah. Um, weird well, phrasing. Well, we've kind of been begging phrasing. for... We haven't been begging for it. But we've said, if your tummy hurts, if your leg is sore, if you have a weird feeling, maybe just don't play. And hold yeah, out for the playoffs. But, like, and just say, ah, he's dealing with something. Yeah. As opposed to saying he's not feeling himself. Like, there's weird connotations to what that could mean. And no one wants to go down that road, obviously. I don't know. It's just, I, I, I just find it bizarre that he was out there skating, wasn't in a red non-contact, but he was extra. And that he was there after practice, still getting in some extra work. He was the last forward off. He was at morning skate today, hung around a little bit. The whole optics of the situation is just weird. Like, if you're not feeling good... And you're feeling off, like, don't just get off the ice. Go ahead. Go rest up. Take a couple of days and rest up and be ready to go. I find it so bizarre. Yeah, I don't know. I don't find it that weird, honestly, A.B. I don't know. Just that he wants to keep moving, but also doesn't want to be in the full contact position of playing an NHL game. No idea. No idea what's going on there. But uh, maybe Sheldon Keefe, I think, is speaking now might speak to uh, if there's an update on John Tavares, if he's feeling any better. But not going to play tonight. I would hope that he's good to go to play Saturday when uh, when Edmonton rolls through. Yeah. But tonight, Leafs and Devils. It'll be on TSN 4 tonight. Should be a good game and a big uh, you know measuring stick to see where Toronto and this new built team kind of is at against playoff teams. Because the last three that they've played, not necessarily... 
That's Edmonton's a playoff team, and they spanked them, so that's that doesn't bode well. And then really close, tight games against Calgary and Vancouver, not necessarily playoff games. So tonight's will be a good uh, measuring stick game, so we'll see where that goes. We'll come back, and we'll chat with Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider. We'll head out to Jersey as well, where Amanda Stein will join us in the 1 o'clock hour. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano with Juliet Desherios and the Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. Welcome back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. It's Julia Tasheri and Mike DiStefano. As an update for tonight's game, which you can see on TSN 4 between the Devils and the Leafs, Ryan O'Reilly, we just got an update on his broken finger. He got surgery this morning, and his timeline, timeline rather is four weeks, as per head coach Sheldon Keefe. And with that, let's bring in our TSN hockey insider, Darren Drager. Dregs, how's it going this morning? Yeah, it's going well. Um... You know, just kind of dissecting and digesting the the news that's coming out of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, I see some that look at this as potentially worst-case scenario, and, and I don't see it that way. I mean, obviously, it's not great. You you lose a key piece like Ryan O'Reilly, um, you know, despite the fact that he's only been in Toronto uh, for a short period of time. It's, it's still a significant piece that you're not going to have access to for at least a month. But worst-case scenario is final week of the regular season, right? You're on the cusp of going into the playoffs. You know, Sheldon Keefe has mapped out his experimentation of, you know, what his lines look like. There's stability and all of those things. And then you lose, again, such a, a significant and influential player like Ryan O'Reilly. It's not great having him out of the lineup. Nonsense to suggest that. But, you know, if it's going to happen probably the best time for it to happen right uh you know he'll he'll be out because of the surgery for a minimum of of four weeks but he'll be able to skate and and do some things he just can't shoot you know he can't grasp yeah. the stick anytime soon so there's always worst case scenario and this isn't it hey we've seen this happen before remember naz nazim Kadri in the playoffs last year he went on to play pretty well with uh, with that finger right. yeah. that he had but uh, I, I i don't i don't have worries about ryan o'reilly but if you could i guess speak to those who look at this see the injury and then think to themselves oh no another felino situation what would you say to those people well i mean how do you compare you know as a general manager you know when you're trying to improve your club that's what you're investing in is the improvement if if you're worrying about you know short-term success or in this case injury and and you know revisiting history as they did with Felino, then you're never making trades there's no guarantee when these players come to your organization that they're going to play 82 regular season games healthy as a horse and lead you into the playoffs right um i mean it's it's bad luck, but when when you're a player like Ryan O'Reilly, injury kind of comes with the territory based on on the way he plays. I'm not suggesting that you know he's he's this rugged run over type of player. Um, he's very physical. Don't get me wrong, but he puts himself in tough situations, and that's because of the character that he is. He goes into those hard areas where you're going <clears> to <throat> take a beating in front of the net. You know you're. You're going to get hit by some pucks. You're going to block shots. I mean, that's that's just the DNA of Ryan O'Reilly, and by by a certain extent, Nick Foligno back you know a couple of years. Ago. So I I don't look at, at those two trades you know the same way. Um, and also, I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs as a whole much differently today than I did when Nick Foligno joined the Maple Leafs. Right? I mean, they weren't ready to push, and now they are. So. This one more time is going to test the core. I mean, 
Kyle Dubas didn't do anything to the core. What he did was insulate them and brought in a core piece like Ryan O'Reilly. So now it's about opportunity for, for some other players. But I, I think this investment is sound because it's not just O'Reilly. It's also Noel Achari, who I think league fans can see is a very help, helpful player. Yeah, who are some players, uh, Dregs, in your opinion, with Tavares and O'Reilly tonight that have an opportunity here to, to show Leafs Nation and Sheldon Keefe what they're all about? Yeah, well, I haven't seen the, the lineup yet. Is you know, I saw Holmberg was called up. He's he's an interesting piece for me. I've got time for him, uh, serviceable, right? And and that's really the way you design your 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 fourth line. Not that those parts are interchangeable, but when you've got the depth that the Toronto Maple Leaf slash Marlies have in that regard, uh, it is uh, an advantage. I, I I've seen enough of Pontus Holmberg to want to see more out of him, and I. I was one of those who wondered, you know, why the Maple Leafs seemed to, to lean as much as they did on, uh, on on some of their other depth forwards. So, you know, there's one. Um, you know, beyond that, again, with, with Tavares out, you're taking two top six guys out. So that means Alex Kerfoot, obviously, is, is being elevated. And that's also why, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't want to trade him. You know, it, it would have made sense from a financial perspective uh, but he is a bit of a Swiss Army knife, even though he can be frustrating at times. You can comfortably play him in your top six, but if he's on your fourth line, then you're pretty solid. So, again, without knowing what the starting lineup is tonight, uh, I like the depth in the in, in the Toronto Maple Leafs' bottom six. I, I really do, whether it's a you know a, an AHL slash NHL guy like Holmberg or it's Aston Reese. Um, you know, where's Sam Lafferty fitting in? I mean, go down the list. They're pretty deep, I would say. Well, Sam Lafferty is the interesting player because had a birthday yesterday and was rewarded with uh, an elevation up into the top six. Yeah. And he's going to play second-line center tonight with Tavares out of the yeah. equation. Like, what expectations would you have on him up in that Well, role? you know, i, I got to tell you, Mike, uh, maybe one of the more underrated elements of his skill set is how well he is at taking draws. And that mm-hmm. was the scouting report on Sam Lafferty coming in. Yeah, there are other aspects of his game. I mean, the speed, you can see that. Um, you know, he's got some bite to him. We can see that. So you always need a little bit more sandpaper. But what seemed to get overlooked was just, again, how strong he was in taking face off. So. In the short period of time that he's been with the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, I, I think they've seen that, and they would recognize that in his game prior to the trade. So, again, there's there's an example of a player who uh, gives you more than just bottom six coverage. You know, if he's if he's in your bottom six, and, and he will be when they're healthy, clearly, you know, third or fourth line, then you got to like the look of your team up front. And that's, again, to revisit the O'Reilly situation, you know, less so with uh, John Tavares. I mean, that's a bit of a weird one, given how, uh, you know, the coach acknowledged that he wasn't feeling right, and yet he skated in the gray sweater and skated yeah. with the defense. I, it's a bit sketchy. I mean, it, if it's health-related, 100% health-related, and automatically when we see big hits, and I know I'm shifting gears on you guys here, but when you see the big hits that we saw in the Vancouver game and you see Tavares get tagged a couple of times, you all you automatically want to leap to a conclusion. Oh, geez. Well, if he doesn't feel right, you know, is that a symptom? What is that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know because they're only going to take us so far into the medical equation. And I, I, I respect that. I mean, there is such a thing as, uh, as, as just 
you know, being confidential with, with private health matters, even though it frustrates some reporters. I get that, too. Um, but, you know, when with, with Tavares out of the mix now, it, it does complicate things a little bit, O'Reilly, longer term, because Sheldon definitely wanted to experiment with, you know, certain looks so that when you get in situations later in the regular season, maybe in the playoffs, you can rely on a combination. And then you went, hey, geez, you know, we did that for a period in game X. And that that group, that tandem especially, these two guys seem to fit pretty well. So when you go through injuries like every team does, it, it does get a little bit tricky. But, you know, again, credit to the general manager for bringing in the reinforcements because maybe Toronto can get through these growing pains here. Could you give us a, I know it's a kind of a dicey situation with Tavares. Do you have a level of concern maybe? Or, or will you wait to evaluate how you feel about the situation based on whether or not he plays Saturday? Yeah, I, even then, I'm not so sure. Again, I, I think it was a pretty good sign that, uh, you know, he, he skated for as long as he did. Yeah. Um, you know, if there was something more concerning, concussion-related, um, you know, muscle-related, I, I mean, they would have given him the practice off. Like, well, what's the point of going out there? So I think we're in the start of load management, um, which is different than trade-related reasons. Apparently, we're going to have now descriptions <laughs> for these players missing from about Christmas on moving forward here. But we're in the territory of, of load management. I mean, if he's not in the lineup on Saturday, then you, you clearly start to, to question, okay, well, what exactly is going on here? And that's when, in a market like Toronto, we can be very pressing. Right, mm-hmm. um, because hey, it was the coach who said he didn't feel right. He was off. Okay, well, what does that mean? Now you know. Now he's missed a couple of games, so there's got to be more to it than just feeling off. But I'm not prepared to do that yet. We need a bit more evidence. Yeah, I, I agree. We'll wait, but it is a little bit. It's unsettling, I guess. The the verbiage that Keith yeah. used was a little unsettling. Uh, with uh, with Darren Dreger, TSN, mm, Hockey Insider. Like it, it was. Uh, I got something to throw out there. I don't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had to hit your mute button. I do it all the time. I know. I, I, I'm I, not as, as much as a pro as you, Dregs. When you get your throat going, you can just gut through it. I had a little bit of a, a situation here. But um, <laughs> there's been a little bit of a, a goalie debate here on TSN 1050 of late. I'm sure you've been having it in a lot of your circles. I'm sure you know the group chat with all the insiders might be having <laughs> similar discussions. Um, I happen to and Julia's with me, actually, I believe. Um, we happen to kind of be the odd man out in this discussion here at the station, thinking that Samsonov, if he doesn't implode down the stretch, he just continues to be the consistent player he is, he should be the game one starter, even if Matt Murray is healthy. Whereas the guys on the morning show and even the guys on OD yesterday saying hey, they want it to be Murray, and, and if he's healthy, yeah. he'll be the guy. Like, Where do you stand on that debate? I mean, I would lean to Murray um, because of the the resume, right? Now, recent history tells us, and by recent, I mean you you dive back into Murray's time in Ottawa, and it's well documented the injury issues that he's had to endure in the time that he's missed, and that's crept into you know his his uh, injury scenarios in in Toronto as well. But for the most part, when he's healthy. He's given the Maple Leafs good starts and decent goaltending. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, playing in a high-octane environment, high-pressure, all of those things, I think winning matters. And he's got Stanley Cups on his resume. So unless it's abundantly obvious that Samsonov is just a better option, and that might be the case. I mean, as we're having this conversation today, 
um, it's 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 a more difficult debate. If you're still undecided when you get to the end of the regular season, for me, I just I just I concede to history and I look at you know the importance of Matt Murray when he was winning Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. I know that's a long time ago, but if the internal analytics and data support that, and I am including the medical data, which mm-hmm. is most important then I, I think you always go way of history here and experience. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thought. We're so hung up on game one of the playoffs. Who's the guy yeah. going to be game one of the playoffs? But the Leafs have been sending selling this tandem to us when both guys are healthy all yep. season long. So do yep. you think there's a chance they actually play them as a tandem in the postseason? Well, I, I, yes, but you know we're not talking about, okay, you get a game, then he yeah. gets a game, right. then you get a game. That's, that's just not realistic. That's, you know, I mean... You, you, you got to go with your gut, and again, all the information that Sheldon Keefe is is probably swarmed with on an hourly basis yeah. as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I don't think you can overreact to one bad goal. Um, can you react to a sketchy game? A hundred percent. That's that's different. You know, if he lets in a couple of bad goals, whoever he is, and that's sways the outcome of the game then if, if you're comfortable in the one in the 1A dynamic, then why wouldn't you make that change? But it gets dangerous when you're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because you're also then identifying that goaltending is the reason you're losing. And normally that's not, that's not the case. We've seen it where there have been games of collapse. Um, one comes to mind in Toronto. I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but anyway... Yeah. Um, I just at some point somebody's got to grab the reins, and that's why the debate is is fun now. It'll be less fun, and and maybe more apparent, which is obvious to which goalie they're going to start the playoffs with, depending on how things shake down. Yeah, I guess very much a wait and see. Everything's always a wait and see with this team. It's no, nothing matters no. until mid-April. Absolutely, well, nothing. you're. you're you're right, Mike, but what, what can't happen is, is what we saw against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, yeah. You know, not just the loss, but, you know, the, the special teams crumbling the way that they did with the Canucks scoring two shorties. And what can happen is having the best player on the planet, bar none, Connor McDavid, taking a game over right from opening face-offs. Like there's, my point is there's got to be better response, whether that's individual from the stars of the Maple Leafs or a group effort, and obviously the coach would prefer the group effort, but they've got to get these ugly games out of their system. Would you entertain a kind of a, a switch in philosophy for a couple of games in the power play like this? That's a couple of, of shorties that we've seen happen over the course of the last few weeks. Like maybe just go for kind of like what Ottawa does, where it's not necessarily a first unit and a second unit. It's they just have two units and they have you know skilled and good players on both, and they kind of roll right. them fifty fifty. Would you entertain maybe Toronto looking into that? Like we talk about how Sheldon Keith likes to tinker and experiment. We don't necessarily yeah. see that all that often outside of he tried the five four thing for a little bit when Riley was out. Like would right. you maybe like to see something? change there not yet no. not yet I, I i wouldn't overreact i mean generally speaking that power play you know yeah it's been streaky but it can be dominant at times too with a level of skill that sheldon can throw out there um and i just it gets a little too disruptive when you know you're trying to play a hunch uh or over tweak especially when it comes to the power play because the guys on the first and second unit of that power play they take great pride i'm sure the second unit would prefer 
having more time than 15 to 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be yeah. that might be a way you start to tinker and they do. Like I mean, if there's nothing going on that power play, you know, the first unit out, then you can hear the the, the calling to get off, right? I mean, that that's just normal practice for any coach in the NHL, but when you when you have the level of talent that the Toronto Maple Leafs can throw out there, with those two power play units, I don't think that much tinkering is required at this point. With our TSN Hockey Insider, Darren Dreger, right now, lots of discourse happening on Twitter right now. I'm just scrolling and seeing lots of people wanting justice for, for Timothy Lilligren, and, and we see what Rasmus Sandin has done in two games with the Capitals, five points in two games. He had a crazy assist on an Ovechkin goal last night, which I'm sure was a thrill for him. Uh, where are you at with the Leafs' blue line? It's... An interesting kind of situation that they find themselves in because you want a ton of depth going into the postseason, but then you lose a guy like Sandine, and they were well aware Sandine's going to be a top four guy when they let him go, right. but they wanted someone a little bit more developed in Gustafson who kind of brings the same thing. But now you've got Lilligren sitting out uh, in favor of guys like Shen and, and Hall. Where are you at with the way the Leafs blue line is shaking out right now and their use yeah. of their younger player? Well, it's, it's it's ongoing experimentation, right? Um, it, it, it looks like and it sounds like, according to the head coach, that McCabe is going to be a left-side guy, right? So if, if that's the case, um, then it feels like Timothy Lilligren needs to be in the lineup. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. You know, the, the right side has to be what Brody, Lilligren, um, you've got Shen Hall in the mix. Uh, I, I I think Luke Shen was a good ad. I do. I think he's a, a high character guy. We saw the presence that he he brought in the start of the Vancouver game. I mean, he's delivering a message. I wonder though if he's an every game player. And you know, there were some around the Vancouver Canucks that didn't think that that he was or is at this point of his career. Doesn't mean you're not getting quality in Luke Shen. It's just again when you get into the heavy lifting of the seven game series. You know, is there enough there to to give you more than what you're getting from Timothy Lilligren? I don't have an answer for that. But I, for the most part, have liked the game of Lilligren. Um, I think that he's had a, a, a decent season, and I think it's going to be a challenge to keep him out of the lineup. But that's a good problem to have if you're Sheldon Keefe, because, you know, now you're, you're throwing the equation of, well, is it Lilligren, is it Hall, like, who's going to be on the outside looking in? And when you look above, then you'd better have six, seven guys that are better. And I'm not so sure when I think of a couple uh, in comparison to Lilligren. Yeah, he's had a great season. And tonight he's going to be uh, alongside Morgan Riley. So we'll see that pairing uh, tonight. Leafs and Devils, TSN4 Dregs will be on the panel. Um, yeah. So around the country a little bit. Uh, Calgary last night, I mean, they got away with it, but they gave up two, two multi-goal leads through that game against Dallas and then squeaked, squeaked one out pretty late there. Are they getting into, like, almost must-win territory on a nightly basis? Yeah. Like, games are kind of – they got many tonight. How big is that yeah. for their season? Yeah, I know. I mean, they've been in must-win territory, Mike, for a month or so, to be mm -hmm. fair. And, and, you know, Brad Trillett, the general manager, was looking for some messaging, you know, just some level of consistency so that he could maybe get heavier, more heavier involved in trade deadline. And, you know, he did some tinkering, but he didn't do anything really of significance. And that is a reflection of how inconsistent the Calgary Flames have been from the crease out. That's the way it's been. Um, they don't have a playoff team to meet. 
you know, that was a tough one for the Dallas Stars, who have also been inconsistent and in a funk of late. So they need to, to figure it out. There's still time left, but when you're as, as far out as Calgary is right now, you know, five, six points, that, that seems like an enormous sort of chasm to, to, to close or overcome. Uh, and again, especially when you weigh that against how wildly inconsistent they've played. So we'll see. I mean, one game maybe leads into uh, a turnaround here, but I need to see it to believe it. And I need to see it for more than a game or two. I need to see it for five, seven, ten games before I buy into it. Yeah, especially Markstrom. Like, it, it, he yeah. played yeah, very little, well against Toronto. Happening there. He played yeah. extremely well against Toronto. They did lose the game, however. And then he played fairly well against Minnesota. And then, yeah. you know, last night happened. And it's like, okay, we need, you know, let's, let's get some consistency out of, out of a guy who's supposed <laughs> to be a top five goaltender. But I'm just looking at the standings. Like, it's going to be tough. They're, they're five points back yeah. of Colorado, but... They've got yeah. three more games played. Like Colorado has games yeah. in hand here. It's it's tough. Nashville's in a better situation. And they were sellers at the deadline for yeah. uh, for Pete's sake. I, I do have a question actually about the deadline. Kind of maybe put a little bow on things. I know that uh it's been a busy couple of weeks for you there, but is there an under the radar player that kind of intrigues you that was dealt at the deadline that you think could could sneakily make a difference for a team? Hmm. Uh well, I would have said Rasmus Sandin, um, partly because of the outburst with Washington, secondarily because it's a quiz question in the uh, Leaf game tonight. <laughs> um, you know what? Like Nick Bukestad in Edmonton is is interesting to me. Like, yeah. you know, we had been speculating on Bukestad and why he was a good fit in Edmonton, mostly because of his cap hit. Right? They were looking for a one million dollar or less cap hit player. And that's what they got in Nicky Bukestad. And, and, you know, he's, he's going to give them a little bit more bite. And, you know, he's, he'll, he'll have some, some influence on the short term. And long term, you need those heavier guys to, to help you go as, as deep as they went last year, et cetera. I mean, I know that's not a flashy name by trade standards. But, you know, the other one might be, you know, again, Tyler Bertuzzi. Like I, and, and not that he's an under-the-radar player, but Detroit had to make a call there. Like, he wasn't on the market because they were in the playoff mix in the East, and then he was on the market because now they're not, and they end up trading him. And Don Sweeney swoops in at a Boston after learning the injury to Taylor Hall uh, and Felino, and just says, all right, well, I guess we have the space. Let's go out and make another deal. And he likes Tyler Bertuzzi, <laughs> who I, I think is underrated for this season. He, his numbers aren't good this year. He has not a very good season, but I think that was a sneaky good ad by the Bruins. Yeah, I, I agree. That one was definitely and and imagine when Hall gets healthy, Felino gets healthy. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, that's a deep, deep group that they got oh, man. in Boston. That's to go along with Dmitry Orlov, who's been a point per game defenseman since their trade uh, as well. Uh, Dregs, really appreciate it as, as always. Can't wait to see you on the broadcast tonight. All right, enjoy the game, guys. Thank all you. All right, appreciate it. There he goes, Darren Dreger, TSN Hockey Insider. We are having this discussion about tandems with mm. him and talking about the goalie situation. And the term tandem, I think, really, like, the definition of the term changes come playoff time. Yeah. Like, in the regular season, we look at it, and, and when we talk tandem, it's, okay, basically a 50-50 split. You're going to get a set amount of games. This guy's going to get a set amount of games. 
When you get to the playoffs, though, like I feel like the, it switches. It's not necessarily going to be, okay, we'll play him for a few, then we'll play him for a few. Like That's not how things work, I think. It's more so just like it's a quick hook, right? Like you struggle after right. two games, you're yanked. But if you keep it going, it's not like, okay, we got to get Murray in because he's played a while. Two games doesn't even feel like it's super quick. I think even quicker than that. If well, it's a- nah, two games, I think, like historically, it sounds about right. Like you got you got a, one game to correct a bad game. Like you play right. bad game one, you got one night For to whoever gets the, the honor of starting? Yeah. So yeah. like whoever starts game one, let's say it's, it's Samsonov, right? And he plays, doesn't play well. Okay, let's see. Let's give him one more game to figure it out. If he doesn't, then he still can't seem to, you know, live up to the expectations of playing in the playoffs where the pressure is high, then you move on in game three. Like, I think there's a track record of that kind of being the case. Yeah. But you think back to when Washington won their Stanley Cup, like, Philip Grubauer was technically the starter. Like, Holpe was on the bench, which was surprising. Um, the guy who had the pedigree, but... Grubauer was the better goaltender that year and so, at that time, but then two games in, faltered, and all of a sudden, boom, uh, in comes Braden Holpe, takes the net, runs away with it. They win a Stanley Cup. The rest is history. Okay, so pedigree is an interesting word, and I think it's one that is plaguing Leaf Nation right now because uh, as Dregs was talking about Matt Murray and why he thinks Matt Murray, he didn't say this hard, but he, he could understand why Matt Murray could be the starter in game yeah. one based on his playoff experience, based on his pedigree, based on those two Stanley Cup rings. He has, which makes sense, pedigree. But there's no denying, like, you and I with our eyes and everyone else who watches hockey can see that Samsonov has been the more reliable, better goaltender so far this season. Yeah. That is real life. That is things that we've seen. There are numbers that say that. That's real. So, as I said to Dregs, there's a lot of talk about Timothy Lilligren going on online. Like, we have Dom Lecision on a lot. He's tweeting about it right now. And it is kind of similar as to what happened last year. Like, I saw someone tweet, tweet kind of facetiously, like, the Leafs acquired two defensemen that are a little bit worse than Sandy and Lilligren or playing them over Sandy and Lilligren. Like, it, there's comparisons being made to Labushkin getting played over Sandy and, and Lilligren a bit last year. Like, is there a bit of pedigree that's giving uh, Shen and Gustafson, I think, specifically a little bit of an edge on Lilligren, who might actually be the more productive player right now? Let's get into this. Okay, let's take a break, because Sheldon Keefe kind of spoke as to the reason why Lilligren has sat out the last couple of games, and I think you're on to something. It somewhat has something to do with that. Like Babcock also, is trending online right now. Oh, geez. So you know what ha- what happens when Babcock trends online? Not good things. <laughs> Definitely not good things. Let's come back. Let's play that Keefe audio in reference to this and we can kind of flesh out this discussion so we'll do that we'll come back we'll chat Lilligren and the defensive core for the Maple Leafs we got Amanda Stein also joining us in the one o'clock hour as well to help tee up tonight's Leafs Devils game you can watch it on TSN 4 I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Tesherios in the Leafs lunch here on TSN 1050. Welcome back to Leafs lunch on TSN 1050 it's Julia Tesheri and Mike DiStefano with you Leafs play the Devils tonight we're gonna have Amanda Stein on in a few minutes to tee that one up from Jersey. You can watch that game on TSN 4 tonight. We just had Dregs on to chat about it. And it resulted in a chat that led us to these couple of young defensemen that the Leafs have or had now that Timothy, or now that Rasmus Sandin is a Washington Capital and a Washington Capital ad that has five points in his last two games. A goal even in his second game as a cap for Rasmus Sandin. And this is not like us just sitting here realizing that Rasmus Sandin has top four potential because I think we were well aware of that. I think the Leafs are well aware of that, A.B. Um, But they're just... There was clearly some frustration there on Sandin's part at the beginning of the season, and it wasn't based on money. We always heard it wasn't based on money. It was based on the role that he was playing 
on the team. Yeah. He wasn't overly pleased with how much he was going to play. And this is the case, like, when we talk about trading away, even trading away draft picks and stuff, we say the future is right now. Like, you got to build a team for right now. And that was what the Leafs tried to do when they traded Sandine and got Gustafson back. Like, Keith said himself, they see Gustafson as a really similar type of player, just a little bit more evolved further down. I think he just called it his path in his career. Uh, but now we're seeing Timothy Lilligren get knocked out of the lineup in favor of Luke Shen. And there's, like, you can kind of understand that. But then when you pull back kind of the layers of the onion, A.B., and you see what's under the hood in terms of numbers and stuff, it actually looks like Lilligren has been a lot more effective in his minutes. I, I know there's oh, value to having... There's not even, like, you can say that with conviction. Yeah. Absolute conviction. I understand the value of having a Luke Shen in a game that could beat the wheels off somebody when needed, specifically in a postseason scenario, but it seems like there might almost be too much onus given to just pedigree, age, and time in the league. Well, I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. So where I think, though, is when you, especially when you're making trades at the deadline, you got to get these guys in the lineup. That's true. Like they, they got to play. You brought them in. You got to figure out how they work in your system, whether or not it's going to work. Especially now we know like who's going to work well with Morgan Riley. Like you got to figure out what works and what doesn't. And the only way you could do that is in game situations by playing these guys. The problem is they got nine defensemen on their roster currently, which means three dudes are not going to be playing on any given night. And the first couple of games they decide to go with seven defensemen to try and mitigate, you know, guys sitting out. And obviously, Lilligren somehow was not one of the seven to, top seven defensemen for those two games, but I understand it. Like, I get it. You, Getting those you, guys into you the You've got to get their yeah, minutes. That's and true. This, this is what Sheldon Keefe had to say on... You know, the usage of Lilligren and, and getting those guys in early and kind of what we've seen over the course of last week since the trades. Lilligren has played good for us all season. We've kind of pulled back on him here the last little bit to give uh, Shen and, and Gustafson a chance to get in and get comfortable with our group. But, uh, you know, we'll get him, get him back in and we'll just go with six defense tomorrow. As I've talked to him about, our team is, is, is deeper on defense now than it was prior to the deadline. So with him and the rest of our defense, the standard is higher in terms of uh, staying in and competing with that. And he was in a similar situation last season. And, uh, you know, whether it's, like I said, he or any of our other guys, you know, they, they've got to, when they're in, they've got to do a really good job because other guys want to play too. Now I'll say this. The game against Edmonton, which is the last game that he played, was not a good one. You know what? That's true. He did have a bad game that night. He had a very, very bad game. Now, so did Justin Hall. Right. And Justin Hall remained in the lineup. Uh-huh. So that's where I look at that, and I'm like, uh, you know, some guys get a little bit more leeway than others. Yeah, right? and it's and not like Justin Hall hasn't had his moments where he's had to sit in the press box. Absolutely, but that's where pedigree comes in and, mm. and veteranness if that's a word, comes in, yeah. right? Like, that's that's a guy who's kind of paid his dues in the league and after one bad game, like, and, and if you need to take guys out, like, I guess he's kind of earned the right to stay in a little bit more than I guess. Lilligren like, has. didn't they win a Calder Cup together, those two little rascals? Uh, Rasmus and, and Timmy? No, Justin you... Hall. Was Justin Hall still? Or, sorry, Justin Hall, yeah, and, and Lilligren. Justin Hall for sure was there. I think Lilligren might have been like yeah. rookie, fresh, came yes, back. Yes, he was. And he was his rookie year in the AHL, right? Was it 17-18 or 18-19 that they won? Uh, I want to say 17-18. Okay, so that was his rookie season in the AHL then. Yeah. So I just mean, there, I know they're, but... they're really 
there's but like not Lilligren, close in Lilligren age, has, but their hockey it, careers aren't that far apart. Right. Like it took a Justin Hall, it took Justin Hall a long time to get right. To where but he he's is. been established in the NHL for three years. Lilligren is he's still establishing himself this season. Like yeah. he only became but he's a regular played in this kind year. of parts of almost all the same seasons. as <laughs> Justin Hall. Justin yeah, Hall's just but, remained consistent. But Anyways, I just find that a little funny. Lineup, though, right? Whereas Justin Hall, like. Two years ago, we were like Justin Hall is a top four defenseman. When him and Jake McCabe or him and Jake Muzzin were el- legitimately an elite shutdown pairing, the year of, of COVID, like the year that they had the Canadian division, they were a, a elite shutdown pairing. Yeah, right. And that was Sheldon Keith's first impression of Justin Hall. That was the season that Sheldon Keith got his first kind of go around with this group because he came in, what, midway through the season prior, then the COVID stoppage. Like, that was his first little inkling of seeing Justin Hall at the NHL level. And he won an American League championship at the AHL level, knowing that that guy could get it done there. So when he saw it happening in the NHL, I wonder, he does have, you know, a little soft spot, and he just, he, he knows that he can, he has a trust factor with Justin Hall, ultimately. Yeah. And it comes down to just flat-out trust. He trusts Justin Hall to get the job done more than he does Timothy Lilligren at this point. Is it warranted based on the numbers? I don't think so. Like, it, it probably isn't, but, y- you know, y- you can't fight gut feeling sometime, and that just seems to be how this situation has gone sometimes. Yeah, it's true, A.B., it's but, true. Um, he'll be in the lineup again tonight. He'll be lined up on a pairing with Morgan Riley, so it's not going to be Riley and Hall. Hall will be with a Giordano. Win. I like these pairings tonight. Like yeah. I, I, I think that Riley, Riley and Lilligren will definitely be probably like the one that I'm circling to watch tonight in particular. Like that's a good lineup in in uh, in New Jersey. It'll be tough to kind of shelter them. But you look at the other two. Like you've got McCabe and Brody. You've got Giordano and Justin Hall. Riley and Lilligren should not have to take a single defensive faceoff tonight. No, they shouldn't have to. And and you can kind of shelter them in that regard. Now, you can get into the argument, you're sheltering an $8 million defenseman. That's uh, not a good thing. But whatever it takes no to get No salary this, cap in April, baby. But what, well, there's that. But also, whatever it takes to get this guy's confidence back, yes. and if that means playing favorable offensive minutes on a third pair... Honestly, I'm for it. Yeah, because, sorry, I know we have to go to break. we got to get Amanda Stein on. But the thing with Morgan Riley, everyone is like, Morgan Riley has to simplify. Morgan Riley has to simplify. He just has to make sure he, he makes it out of, the game, out of a game without a dash. And I think Morgan Riley is at his most confident when he's getting touches. Yep. It's not like simplifying yep. for Morgan Riley looks different than it does for like a Jake Muzzin type. Simplifying, I think, looks a little different for Morgan Riley. He's got to get some touches. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, I'm sure we'll continue some of these chats and continue to get into tonight's game. Game, which can be seen on TSN4. Amanda Stein will join us at 120 and we'll uh, continue to tee things up. I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Sherry. Second hour of Leafs Lunch coming up next.